Well, good morning. Welcome to the Eastside Church of Christ. I'm so happy to, uh, to be here with you all to worship God. The worship this morning has been really good this morning. Amen. Um, for those of you who uh, were here yesterday, I want to thank you for the, the ones that came out to serve at the Back to School Bash. Uh, there was a lot of planning that went into making yesterday happen, and so for those of you who came and, and sweated and worked with us for the last few hours, I really, really appreciate it. It was a great success. Um, I mentioned this morning in the Bible class, I don't have the final numbers, but I know personally that there were hundreds, if not, if not at least a thousand kids that came through. I think somebody mentioned earlier that we had at least 500 families um, that came through here. And not only that, um, we had several churches that were here too. It wasn't just Eastside, and that's what's amazing, is that there were at least five or six congregations that were working together that were in this auditorium yesterday, serving this community and being a blessing uh, to everyone around. So that's, that's a praise God kind of thing. Amen. Um, I want to thank you guys for my, my prayers for my wife. She just left to go back home. For those of you who've been praying for her, she had COVID last week. Um, she started having symptoms last Friday, and we were all in quarantine last week for a few days. And um, she's over most of her symptoms, but she's really, really tired. And so that's why she had to leave a little bit earlier. But I know that several of you have been praying for her. been thinking about my wife quite a bit this week uh, as I was thinking about this sermon because I was thinking about um, the life that I used to live before I went into ministry. And uh, Tim Escovito was at my house several weeks ago. We were having a cookout. And I said, Tim, I said, uh, I said, did you know I used to be in martial arts? We were talking about karate. And uh, believe it or not, there used to be another life of mine. Uh, this was me. This was right at about 19, 20 years old. Um, but there was a time in my life that, that I wanted to dedicate my whole life to martial arts. Um, believe it or not, this is where I met my wife. Uh, we met in karate class. She had started when she was 14 years old. And uh, I remember when I walked in at 15, I thought she was one of the cutest white belts I'd ever seen. And we both got our belts together. And for the next four years, that's how Tiffany and I got to know each other. We went through all the ranks together. In fact, on the day that I got my first degree black belt, she got her black belt as well. Uh, I used to, that, that was one of the ways we used to flirt, by the way, is when we'd put on the sparring gloves and we would go at it. So uh, we would say, we don't argue, we just put the gloves on and fight it out, so... Uh, here's a picture of her. This is me and Tiffany. This was when I was a youth minister back in 2001. Uh, we were doing a, a demonstration in front of the church. It was like a, um, a talent show night or whatever, and so Tiffany and I was doing some katas. Um, but anyway, I, I bring this up this morning because there was a time in my life when I thought that I wanted to be a martial arts instructor. So after I got my first degree of black belt, they hired me on at 17 years old, and for the next couple of years, I taught classes every day. I worked out every day. I, I probably taught two or three karate classes that had 15, 20 students apiece. And my plan was to compete uh, professionally, get into MMA. That was back when MMA was first starting, back in the days of Hoist Gracie. And some, you know, and some, of, those, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You talk about MMA and uh, the Ultimate Fighting Championship in UFC. Believe it or not, that was what I thought I was going to do with my life. And so for two years after that, after I got my second degree black belt, um, I started teaching other people how to learn karate. And when you're a martial arts instructor, they call you a sensei, right? What is a sensei? A sensei means teacher in Japanese. And so what does a sensei do? Well, you don't just tell your students what to do. When you're a sensei, you show your students what to do. 
And so every single day for two years, I was out there doing the push-ups, doing the sit-ups. I was out there teaching the moves, doing the katas with them. We were doing the strength training together. Um, I was putting on gloves with all the students and, you know, teaching them how to do their stances and their fights. And I was doing the, the lady self-defense classes and showing the ladies how to fight against, you know, protect against men and that type of thing. My point was, is that you would model for your students what you were trying to teach them to do. And not only that, you were modeling for your students the confidence and the qualities of being a martial artist so that not only do they know how to do what you're teaching them to do, to train them how to be a black belt, but also to train their mind, their emotions to be strong as well. And so in a real sense, in that early stage of my life, I was discipling people. Except I was what? Discipling people into the martial arts, right? Now, I bring that up because when I think about it, that's exactly what Jesus is doing with his disciples in the Gospels, isn't it? He's not teaching them Okinawan karate or jujitsu or anything like that, but he's modeling for them. He's showing them what living a spiritual life, or as we've been saying for the past few weeks, what walking in the Holy Spirit actually looks like. He didn't just tell them what to do. He showed them how to do it. And so over the course of the last few weeks, we've said that when you walk in the Holy Spirit, the first thing you do is like Jesus, you seek the Holy Spirit with your whole heart. That's a daily thing. You spend as much alone time with him as you possibly can. You read your Bible as much as you possibly can. You learn how to practice the presence of God by not only just believing that the Holy Spirit is there, but you start to commune with the Holy Spirit. You become more and more aware of his reality in your daily life. The second thing Jesus modeled for his disciples is that he overcame temptation by the Holy Spirit. By becoming more aware of, uh, of him and having faith in God's presence on the inside of us, we become more aware of his power than we do the pull of sin. We become more aware of his power than we do the pull of sin. And then the third thing that you see in the life of Jesus is that because he lived in the presence of the Holy Spirit, because he overcame the blockages that keep us from growing in the Holy Spirit, the natural result of that is what? He experienced the fruit of the Holy Spirit in his life. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, that leads us then to a fourth example. There's really four and five that I want to focus on today. They really could go longer, but I want to get into some, some material that I think is really important for next Sunday. But that leads us then to the fourth example that we can see from the life of Christ and that, that teaches us how to walk by the Holy Spirit, and that is this. Number four, Jesus served others by the power of the Holy Spirit. He served others by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke's gospel, when Jesus first begins his ministry, right at the very beginning, right after he's baptized... Right after the Holy Spirit tells him to go into the wilderness to fast for 40 days, to pray for 40 days, right after he turns away all the temptations of Satan, what is the very next thing that happens? It says he comes down, he chooses his disciples. He doesn't do that before he seeks the Holy Spirit, by the way. And the very next thing he does is that it says he goes into the synagogue and he reads a scripture. Now, if, if I were to ask you a question, if I were to say, Pick one scripture out of the entire Bible that sums up the, the, the ministry of Jesus. A mission statement, if you will. One scripture, what would it be? There's all kinds that you could pick from, right? You could pick 
Scriptures that talk about His love. Scriptures that talk about His grace. Scriptures that talk about His sacrifice. What is the purpose? What's the mission of why I'm here? There's all kinds of verses you could pick. But it turns out that in, in John, or excuse me, rather Luke, after Jesus is tempted by Satan and he overcomes the temptation, the Bible says that he goes into a synagogue and as it was customary, he was handed a scroll. The Bible says that it was a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he takes that scroll and he rolls it and he's searching for a specific scripture. In other words, Jesus himself picks a scripture to read as the theme statement, if you will, of his entire ministry. Wouldn't you like to know what that scripture is? Let's read it together. John... I'm sorry, did I say Luke? Yeah, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. You have this story. Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which he did every single, uh, every single Sabbath. He's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And it's very significant because when Jesus gets up to read, it says he's handed the scroll and Jesus himself finds this specific verse. Let's read it together. I have John 4. I think I may have made a mistake. It's either Luke or John. It's in there somewhere. Trust me, okay? Check me, because I I think it's Luke, but I think I accidentally wrote John. I apologize. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Did you see that? He had been tempted for 40 days. He overcomes the temptation, and when he begins his ministry, he's empowered by what? By who? He's moving in the Holy Spirit. So the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues. And everybody praised him, and he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And he's going to quote, by the way, from the book of Isaiah, this prophecy. Listen to what he says very carefully. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then verse 20. He rolls up the scroll. Gave it back to the attendant. Sat down. And the Bible says that the eyes of everybody in the synagogue was fastened upon him. And he began saying to them today. Today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I don't want you to miss the impact of what Jesus is doing here. This is intentional. Jesus searches out and finds these verses specifically for this occasion because he's saying this sums up my entire ministry. And I don't want you to miss the impact of it because the prophecy that he states from the book of Isaiah is a summary of that second Old Testament hope that we talked about. Remember that? What were the two Old Testament hopes? When you read to the very end of the Old Testament, you've got two expectations. Number one, there is a coming anointed one, the Messiah, and he's going to save the people from their sins. And two, this anointed one is going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. Well, guess what? When he reads the scripture, he says, that's me. That's what I'm doing. I am here to pour out the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And by the way, when you read this language in John 4, 18 through 19, of he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. Free from what? Yes, on one hand, free from sin. 
but also freedom from the effects of sin. One of the things that we have to realize, guys, is that age, disease, decay, birth defects, all those things that come as a part, the, the disease, famine, those types of things, the degrading of the body, all of those things come as a result of sin. Now you say, wait a minute, are you saying it's because of what I do that causes those things? No, that's not what I'm saying. There's a difference between committing a sin and being under the realm of sin. Does that make sense? Jesus, God said in the beginning of the Garden of Eden, the day that you eat of this, you'll die. Well, they ate it. Did they die? No, they died spiritually first. And then when they were put outside the Garden of Eden, they started to die physically over time. They began to grow older and older. And as you age, you get decay, you get disease. All of that is sin, according to the Bible. It misses the mark with God. Does that make sense? Okay. So what am I trying to say? Whenever Jesus would heal somebody, whenever he would do a miracle, whenever he would set prisoners free from their sin or set people free from their sickness, their illness, whenever he would give sight to the blind or whenever he would heal the leper, whenever he would cast demons out of somebody who was demonically oppressed, what was Jesus actually doing? He was giving you a foretaste of what's to come. You say, why did he heal the blind? Because is there blindness in heaven? couple of you know the answer there's no blindness in heaven is there disease in heaven okay is there death in heaven so what are you witnessing when you look at the miracles of jesus you are witnessing the inbreaking of the future kingdom into the here and now amen you are seeing heaven manifest in the presence because when you are in the presence of the father there is no disease there is no death there is no suffering does that make sense Okay, so he was showing that his mission was to undo the curse of Genesis chapter 3, to undo the effects of sin upon mankind. And so when you see the works of Christ, when you see his teachings, when you see his ministry, when you see his miracles, what you're seeing is an inbreaking of the nearness of the kingdom of God. Why is it when Jesus taught in the Gospels, remember what he said over and over again, everywhere he went, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. It means it's come really close. It's right here. And in fact, you and I get to live in the kingdom even before the time. Even before its fulfillment, you and I get to live in the kingdom because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this fourth one for a moment. And I want to ask the question this morning. We know that Jesus ministered served other people by the Holy Spirit. But I want to ask the question this morning, how? How did he serve by the Holy Spirit? When you look at the Gospels, you can tell that when he walked in the Holy Spirit and he allowed the Holy Spirit to serve through him, there were two ways in which you can see the Holy Spirit provide for Jesus in terms of his ministry. The first one was guidance. When it came to serving other people, Jesus always consulted with the Holy Spirit first before he served. And secondly, empowerment. He gave him the power to do his ministry. Now let's talk about these two very briefly. Number one, let's talk about this first one. In order to walk by the Holy Spirit, think about what that imagery means. If I'm walking by the Holy Spirit, the first thing you have to do is learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? You can't walk with somebody if you're trying to go the opposite way. 
So if you're wanting to go where someone's trying to lead you, you've got to give up your will to go somewhere else and surrender to the direction that that person is taking you in, right? Well, that's exactly what you see here. That's why number one up here is so important because it all starts there. It all starts through upreach. It all starts through that personal connection that you have with God, that practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your life. It's only as you learn to hear and see in the Holy Spirit that you will learn to be led by Him. And by the way, that's not just for your life. That's also for your ministry as well. I want you to think about this. When Jesus came to this earth, when He started His ministry, you know, He didn't go, you know, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my own ministry. And you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to make it a, a, a charitable organization. I'm going to go down and get a 501c3. And uh, you know what? I'm going to call it the Way Ministries. And uh, we're going to get a marketing team and we're going to, you know, we're going to raise some money. We're going to start this church. We're going to buy a building. And he didn't do none of that stuff. He knew that his life was a calling. He knew that he was here for a purpose, a mission. He knew that he had a specific gifting that God had given him, a calling to do certain things, to accomplish certain things that only he could accomplish. How many of you know that that's the same way for you? If you are here this morning, it is because God has a specific calling and purpose for your life. But what I'm noticing in churches all over America is that because we don't understand the Holy Spirit, because we don't even commune with the Holy Spirit, try to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, not only do people not know their spiritual gifts, but they don't know their calling. And they think that their highest calling is to have a good job, make good money, and get retirement saved up, and go on a good vacation. Let me tell you something. God has a role for you to play that will help him in his plan of redemption for mankind. And he is asking you to partner with him in that mission to serve other people and to call other people for the gospel. He's asking you to get engaged in the fight. But the only way you can do it is you've got to know your gifts and you've got to know your calling. So if you don't know those two, well, then you've got to start having personal guidance through the Holy Spirit to let him show you. The Holy Spirit provided guidance to Jesus all throughout his ministry. Jesus never relied on his own understanding. When it came to ministry, he always listened to the Holy Spirit tell him, watch this, where to go, who to talk to, who to minister to, who to heal, what to do, and what to say. Listen to this. John chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Very truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing by himself. Stop right there, full stop. What do you mean the Son can do nothing by himself? I thought he was God in the flesh. He is. But remember, Jesus chose to set that aside. Jesus chose to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit to be the example for you and me. Does that make sense? Okay, so he can do nothing by himself. So if that's the example, what is that telling you? You can do nothing by yourself. You cannot do anything by yourself. You have to rely upon the Holy Spirit. And look at what it says. He can do, this is Jesus talking about himself, he can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. And yes, 
he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Jesus goes on and says this at verse 30. Again, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as what? I hear. And my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Guys, listen to me. Jesus ordered his entire life and ministry based upon walking in the Holy Spirit. And as he walked in the Holy Spirit, God gave him eyes that could see things that the average man could not see. God gave him things that he could hear that the average man could not hear. And that's what gave him the direction for his ministry. That's what gave him the the mission for his ministry. I can tell you as a minister... Well, let me... Let me back up a little bit. Let me back up just a little bit. Here's the point I want to make. Just as Jesus relied fully upon the Holy Spirit for his ministry, don't you think we need to do the same? Okay, so let's talk about the second one this morning. How did Jesus minister by the Spirit? Number one, he did it through personal guidance of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do it on his own. He didn't come up with his own plans. He listened to the Holy Spirit. He saw what the Spirit was doing, and he joined in to what God was doing. And secondly... The Spirit walked with him or helped him in his ministry by giving him providence and empowerment. And that's the second way you see Jesus minister in the Spirit. The Spirit not only tells Jesus where to go, what to do, what to say, he also empowers Jesus to do ministry. Don't you think about this? All the miracles that Jesus did, he did by who? The Holy Spirit. All the insight that he gave that, God, that Jesus had into people's hearts. Do you remember? In the Gospels, he had the ability to read people's hearts. He could see into their thoughts. Who gave him that ability? The Holy Spirit. Who was it that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted and then strengthened him to show him he could be strong through it? The Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit that led Jesus to different parts of the country. It was the Holy Spirit that told him to go up to Samaria and visit a woman at the well. It was the Holy Spirit that told Jesus to go down to Jerusalem and chase out some people that were money changing at the temple. It was the Holy Spirit that told him to get into a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee because there was a man possessed by demons and he wanted that man set free. Listen to me. A five-minute Holy Spirit-led ministry and conversation can change more than 20 years of ministry doing it by your own efforts. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood right before he was about to be arrested and crucified, who was it that gave him the strength to endure? It was the Holy Spirit. And after three days, when Jesus was lying in that grave, when Jesus said, or when God said, enough is enough, who was it that raised him from that grave? And the Bible says that same Holy Spirit is going to resurrect your mortal bodies one day too. The same Spirit. Now, when you turn through the pages... Of the rest of the New Testament, as you get out of the Gospels and you get into the book of Acts and you see the early church from the book of Acts on, what do you see? You see a church that is being led through personal guidance of the Holy Spirit and you see a church that is being provided for and empowered to continue on and carry out the ministry that Jesus started. See, this is where I think we went wrong in our plea for restoration. 
What is the idea of the restoration movement? The idea of the restoration movement in our churches is to take the Bible, go back to the book of Acts, and in some sense try to restore things back to the way they were. Not the, 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 the baggage of legalism and church traditionalism that, that you see the vestiges of all over the place today. We want to try to get back to the kernel, back to the truth, if you will. And, and we did very well with that. We tried to, but what we wound up doing is restoring more of what we perceive to be first century ways of doing worship services rather than the life of Christ. Because what do you see in the book of Acts? You don't see a church trying to get their worship services correct. You see a church that's trying to pattern their lives after the Savior. And in the first century, when you read Acts, that's what it looked like in their context. Here's my question. What does it look like in ours? What does it look like in ours? What was Jesus' mission? To continue the ministry, for us, to continue the ministry of freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is favor in, in, uh, in the Greek? It means grace. To proclaim grace to the world around us. That was Jesus' mission. That was the church's early mission. And church, guess what? That's our mission too. Amen? Let me tell you something. As a minister... I will speak for myself, not for everyone, but I think, I think that we have really missed the mark when it comes to training future preachers. Um, I am grateful for my education. I went to college. I got my bachelor's degree in uh, Greek and Hebrew. I got my master's degree in Bible and ministry with a focus on Old Testament. Um, I did all that stuff, but I will tell you, I have learned so much more about God in these last five years through the Holy Spirit than I ever did at seminary ever. And I don't shortchange it. Again, I'm not saying that it was bad. I'm thankful for the education that I got. I mean, you know, they they equip you. They give you tools. They help you understand the scriptures. They help you to to understand the history and the background. And they they give you the theology and they show you how theology has developed over the last 2,000 years. And, And there's benefit to all those things. But the longer that I've been walking in the Holy Spirit, the more I've learned that if Jesus himself needed a special anointing of the Spirit in order to empower him to carry out his ministry, then listen to me, I don't dare preach another sermon, teach another class, unless I go humbly before the Father and seek the Holy Spirit first. I want to know what he says. I want to know what he says before we do anything else. When you think about it, that's one of the reasons why Jesus was baptized, wasn't it? We know that he wasn't baptized because he needed it. He wasn't baptized for repentance. That's not why he was baptized. He wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, to give you and me the example. So what's the example? He receives the Spirit before he goes out and he does ministry. He's the one who gives his disciples guidance and empowerment to carry out the ministry. Think about it. There's no other way to explain it. You want to go back and restore what happened in the book of Acts? Well, go back to the book of Acts chapter 2 and look what happened. Because after the Holy Spirit came and filled those people, that says there were over 3,000 people that were baptized that day. That does not happen without a move of God. That doesn't happen without a move of God. And then finally this morning, I'll skip that. Jesus served others by the Spirit. I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to just say this one very briefly, and then we'll close. Number five, Jesus was obedient to God unto death. You know, people don't really like to talk about obedience too much today. 
That's a toughie in churches, isn't it? Obedience means I got to change. Who loves change? I see one hand, and that's because Johnny's strange like that. Right, Johnny? I'm just teasing you. It requires us to change. But here's the thing. At the heart of obedience is love. Right? At the heart of obedience is love. Why does a child do what his father tells him to do? Well, yes, on one hand, it might be because you might be afraid you might get one of those. But nine times out of ten, you do what you do. Why? Because you love your dad. Right? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's about relationships. It's not about rules. And when you go into the scriptures, in John chapter 14, verse 31, it says this. He says, I love the Father. This is Jesus talking. I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And this is important because, again, what was the Old Testament hope? The coming of the presence of the Holy Spirit meant that God was going to write the law where? On your heart. Now, let me tell you how we, we as Christians typically understand that. He wrote it on my heart. So that means I don't ever have to understand the law anymore. No. What is the Sermon on the Mount trying to teach you? You've heard it was said a long time ago, thou shalt not kill. And I look at myself and I go, whew, I feel good about that one. I hadn't killed anybody. All right? I must mean I'm pretty dang righteous. And Jesus goes on to say, let me tell you what that means. Don't kill anybody means love them. Right? Don't even hate them. Don't even say raka. That was an old ancient way of saying you idiot. You ever called anybody an idiot? You ever felt like somebody was an idiot in your heart? Well, guess what? Jesus says you're in danger of, danger of hellfire if you feel that way towards someone else. Oh, don't think that God's gotten rid of the law, folks. He hasn't gotten rid of the law. He's wrote it on the inside of our hearts. So that calls us then to obedience. The promise of the Old Testament was he was going to write his law on our hearts. That's Ezekiel chapter 36. He's going to give us a new spirit within us. And the Bible says that he's going to move us to follow his decrees, to follow his ways. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's what people thought he was doing. You're preaching lawlessness. He says, I didn't come to get rid of it. He said, no, I haven't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill the law. In other words, I came to live it out for you, to show you how it's lived out through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the perfect example of obedience. And he's given you a perfect example of obedience. It means that since you have the Spirit living inside of you, you also have the laws inside of you. And now instead of the law, watch this, instead of the law being like an outside cage coming in on your human sinful nature and trying to rein in your sin to keep you from just going crazy in sin, he takes that law and he writes on your heart and he takes away the cage and he says, now you're free. Because your motivations change, see. Your desires on the inside change. You no longer begin to want the things that you used to want anymore. That's called transformation. That's the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit inside of your life. And so now, Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 4 says this, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. See, the problem was your flesh. The problem's not God's word. The problem was is that you had a flesh that wants to buck against God's word. See, that had to be dealt with, and that's what Jesus dealt with on the cross. So what the law could not do, skip down to the next part, God did. (laughs) How? By doing something with your flesh. What did he do with your flesh? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh 
So, in other words, even though you have flesh, you stand justified by God, not because of what you have done, but because of what he's done. In order that, verse 4, come on, read it with me, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met where? In other words, so that we can live like Jesus and fulfill the law. So that we can live lawfully in front of other people who do not live according to the flesh, but according to what? Come on, somebody. This is why Paul later says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One more time, we've said it before, but it's worth saying again. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you to do two things. To will, that's a desire, and to act. To give you the ability to fulfill His good purposes. So as we close, are you willing to follow Jesus' example and follow the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to join Jesus in His mission that He started 2,000 years ago and seek wisdom from Him how you can do what He did so that you can be shown what your gifts are, what your calling is, so that you can be shown where to go, who to talk to, what to say, what the resources are, so that he can provide you what is necessary for his will to be accomplished through your life. Are you willing to live obediently to him? May every one of us this morning seek to walk in his presence and in his power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had. And I pray that you will cause a divine stirring inside each of us. God, I pray that, that we will have a vision of Christian ministry, that it won't be just, yeah, I'll live my life, and if somebody happens to show an interest in the Bible, I'll tell them about uh, God or I'll invite them to church. No. God, help us to see the person. Help us to see the soul. God, give us insight. Give us wisdom, God. Help us to, to know where you're working. Help us to see with eyes that see the people that you're working on. Help us to, 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 to hear with ears that hear the conversations around us so that we can become spiritually sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing so that we can join in on what you're doing around us, Father. We pray for wisdom and we pray for empowerment and we pray for faith as we obey. In Jesus' name.